Uh, my name is Buck Hartzell, and I'm an analyst here at The Motley Fool. And I'm joined by Cal Hartzell. Cal, what are you? Second year at the University of Virginia studying computer science. Nice. And Cal is here because he knows a lot more about artificial intelligence, neural networks. And he's the reason I actually bought a Model 3 a year ago. So he knows a lot more about the hardware and software. I just kind of drive the car. Um, we're also joined by Gally Russell. So thank you very much from HyperChange. He's got nearly 100,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us, Gally. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pumped to be here. No, it's great. We appreciate it. And can you tell for those listeners, and we have a lot of people here, all of them are interested in following Tesla, either because they like the product or they like the product and they own the stock. So both of them, um, we're kind of doing a deep dive on Tesla. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of your background and hyperchange in particular for those that don't know a lot about it? Totally. So um, I think I was around 14 or 15 and I got my hands on a copy of Warren Buffett's The Snowball. Um, and I was just obsessed with like rolling my snowball, learning about investing, you know, buying different companies. Um, and so started investing there. Now I'm 27. Um, and about three or four years ago, decided to like all my friends liked investing. Everyone's interested in it, but nobody knows how to get started. And so I just thought if I put videos out about what stocks I like, what I'm investing in, like maybe people will be able to gravitate that and like really learn and build a community around it and sort of break this taboo about talking about finance. Um, so I started that and just talked about what stocks I was investing in happened to be Tesla. And I guess, you know, my research was good. I eventually got on the conference call, was able to talk to Elon um, and like have just sort of built a following around, you know, my personal investing, but really Tesla is my biggest investment. So that's probably half of what my channel talks about is my analysis of Tesla and where they're going, what I think about the stock. Yeah. And what an interesting company to talk about. So much optionality embedded in that company and yeah. Elon, but the products and everything just... I mean, there's just so much going on at Tesla. It's tough to keep track of, and it seems like it changes day by day. So thank you for joining us, and we appreciate that. And we certainly appreciate you uh, also turning so many people on to investing. That's what we did at The Fool, and it, the kind of start of The Fool sounds pretty similar to the start of HyperChange as well. So yeah, um, totally. Kind of brothers and kin there, so I appreciate that. So um, give me an ask. So, so you mentioned you're interested in 14. Was your back down, did you study something in school that helped you with investing? You were interested in 14, you read the snowball. What did you study in school? Was there any investing in there or just kind of like, just picked it up on your own? You know, I was always into like fantasy football and football and like stats. And so then I realized like stocks were kind of stats um, and that you could make like a, a lot of money investing. And this was like a real way to build a career. And like at the same time, you were able to learn about what was happening in the world. Like I've always said, if you were like an alien coming to a different planet, what, how would you learn about that planet? I would want to see the stock market, which companies are valued where, why are they trading at higher multiples, lower multiples? What does the market think? You'd be able to find out so much amazing information about that society. And so that to me is the angle I come from is just like fascination of like being an anthropologist, almost of wanting to learn about humans and the lens of the stock market is the most analytical mathematical way to really dive into that science. And so that has just always been like, I think foresee this as like a lifelong kind of learning passion of yeah. and you know investing is that's what investing is i guess right and i've always told my kids too cows are oldest we have two other ones that you can tell a lot by people by looking at their portfolios and what stocks they like and follow and understand so that's absolutely true so one of the things that i really love about listening to hyperchange and some of the stuff that you've said on podcasts is um you're a very long-term thinker and you realize this is kind of an early stage company and i think uh we appreciate that the Motley Fool. One of the things that we tell people is like the, one of the hardest things to do in investing is to buy a stock and hold on to it for 20 or 30 years. The great stocks that compound, it's not that no one ever thought of them or heard of them. Everybody had heard of the great stocks. Just nobody had the patience to hold those for that long. Yet 
Tesla is one of those stocks where it's really volatile. So we can kind of see the movement. So over a thousand, you had a um, piece of information you put out about that recently where the stock went over a thousand. Why do you think Tesla is so volatile? Is it because of the amount of short sellers or is it because of kind of fan people getting into the stock later that don't really understand it? Um, we don't think the valuation moves so much um, in a couple months, but yet, yet the, uh, the value of the business, but yet the stock does. What do you think drives it? Yeah, Tesla, I would say it's like the Kim Kardashian of the investing world. It's, you know, pretty crazy. Everyone's speculating. Everyone's talking about it. Um, you know, I think the news cycle is a lot of the volatility and just in general, the way we live in like this sort of Twitter clickbait, you know, the internet is a way faster way to distribute news than ever before. And I think it's people aren't appreciating that's impact on the financial market. So I think that's part of it. Tesla's the it stock of the moment. Um, but the way I think about it is like the intrinsic value of a company, you know, is going up like this steadily and slowly. Yet the stock price is going like this. And so yeah. to me, the volatility is, you know, if it's way lower than that intrinsic value, then it's time to to make a move. But so that's kind of the way I think about all my stocks is like, you know, how much did the business get better? Tesla stocks up 8%. Is the business really, really worth 8% more than it was yesterday? Probably not, you know, and the same when it goes down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Buffett has famously talked about Mr. Market and sometimes he gets pretty manic, right? Um, so you know, yeah. kind of big swings in that, but the value of the business doesn't change nearly as quickly. Okay. Yeah, so going back to the short sellers, they've kind of been, you know, consistently wrong, especially in the long term about this stock. So what do you think the biggest thing that uh, bears specifically either get wrong about Tesla or Elon Musk? Um, I think it's a system of the broader, you know, way we teach finance and stocks and investing in business school of just kind of put a company into the box. What's the P ratio? What's the cash flow? You know, and they just can't really understand these new disruptive companies that have different business models and sort of think outside the box about growth that's not on the spreadsheet. You know, Tesla has the semi truck coming up you know, autonomous cars. These are something that like are new product lines that are really hard to model that they're not selling today that aren't in the spreadsheet. So if you're not thinking about what they're going to come out next and not really thinking about this as sort of like a VC kind of startup company that's not at maturity, you know, the whole way the financial system and analysis works is you're analyzing a company as if it were at maturity. And so everybody's trying to analyze Tesla. Oh, it's at maturity, but they're losing 300 million overlooking the fact that that 300 million in CapEx is going to drive 2 billion in high margin, you know, 25% margin revenue. They're going to get 500 million in gross profit. That's an amazing ROI. And, you know, that's why I think the stock has finally soared is they reach that inflection of all these investments paid off and they really make cross the chasm of startup mode to actually becoming a more mature and starting to be profitable company. And that's when the market woke up and was like, wow, this is a real deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we like to say at the Motley Fool that you have intangibles that are on the that aren't on the balance sheet, but are hugely valuable. One of those you kind of mentioned is brand like the Tesla car drives down the street. You can instantaneously recognize it. And the, and the value of that brand has certainly grown, as you said, the intrinsic value of the company has. Yeah. yeah. And so like the way I think about it is like, I want to invest in a technology. And I think the mon like the financials are three months lagging of what's happened, let alone the actual monetization of that technology. So I think Tesla's battery technology has hundreds of billions of monetization potential. It's just going to take a while for them to release the products and scale it up and do all that. So that's, you know, I just, I'm in the process of closing an investment in SpaceX right now. That's another company where the near-term financials may not make sense, but the technology of reusable rockets to me is very early in its monetization stage. Now they can launch their own satellites because their rockets are cheaper and reusable, which is another hundred dollar billion dollar business that you wouldn't have thought of unless you'd been thinking about the technology. Right. Yeah. So, so you very much kind of touched on this, but I'll kind of phrase it as a more direct question so you can talk about it. So uh, Tesla recently passed Toyota with the biggest market cap in the auto industry, uh, which, you know, maybe some question around that metric, because if you use enterprise value, it's 330 billion for Tesla and just under 200 billion 
sorry, 330 for a Toyota and just under 200 million for Tesla. And that's, you know, a pretty incredible accomplishment. So like, what do you think that says about how Tesla is perceived, especially when you look at it against the traditional automakers? Yeah, I mean, so I think the market is telling you that where the direction is headed, that even though Tesla is on the track to sell half a million cars this year, like they're on a really clear path to sell millions. And the reason why I'm still holding on to Tesla and very bullish is because I think what an automotive company is structurally from a margin perspective is going to change. Instead of Toyota and Ford making five pennies on the dollar in revenue, Tesla is going to up that to 10 or 15 you know, cents on the dollar in revenue of profit. And that's going to justify a triple per car sold in terms of valuation. Um, and that's just one layer of it. But I think even taking a step back, just like Toyota, you know, if you're pricing in a PE of 10, that's 10 years of earnings. So when you think even a PE of 10 is 10 years out, when I think 10 years out, I'm thinking if you're not a leader in electric, you're probably screwed. And that's why the PE, I think, of every automaker is falling. And that's why we have such a discrepancy. Like, why is Tesla trading at, you know, four times sales, but these other companies at 0.4 times sales? Well, I think it's because the market's saying these sales are a crappier product that's not worth as much and Teslas are growing way faster. And it's, you know, don't, I, one of my favorite business school professors, like the PE is four, don't buy, ask why. And so I think that's the layer of analysis that's needed there. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a there's a pretty good chance that the market is saying that Tesla is not a car company, in in a, in, a, in a pretty big degree. Just like Amazon was not just a retailer, I think it's safe to say you know if you look at full self driving and right now that's seven thousand dollars for each car that they own. That's potential kind of un, untapped revenue for one people that didn't buy it. I did not buy that yet. I have autopilot, but I didn't didn't upgrade to full self driving, but I probably will. Right, and then pretty soon you're looking at a company that's they do make cars, but maybe they're more of a SaaS model than they are just an automaker. And I think, you know, the, the, the value folks that have looked at Tesla all along have made some mistakes. I think one of them is comparing them to a car company and saying, well, Toyota sells 10 times as much in revenue and only has this amount of margin. Yep, they're not the same company. Like they just aren't, right? So uh, yeah, so that's exactly. probably one of the things there. So you are particular, you, Previously mentioned about the potential, the huge uh, revenue potential of batteries for Tesla. Uh, Tesla recently has a partnership in China with a CATL getting a short-term battery contract. I think it was like two years or something. So Tesla recently delayed their battery day. I just kind of want to think what your view is on the long-term future of Tesla batteries as other revenue or just company opportunity. Totally. And this is a really important piece to understand the electric vehicle segment because Tesla's producing at their gigafactory in Nevada, basically as many lithium ion batteries as the whole world was a couple of years ago. So they were like, okay, if we're going to build an electric car. We literally need to build a massive factory to build the batteries because they do not exist. So Tesla pretty much sells every car they produce. They don't really, they hold very minimal inventory compared to every other automaker. It's, and it's all supply constraints. Like we don't literally have enough battery cells to scale. And so now Elon's saying we're gonna have a battery investor day, one of the most important days in our company's history history where we go from 30 to 50 gigawatt hours of battery production to two terawatts, you know, a 30, 50 X increase. And that means they have 30 to 50 X more battery packs. I don't know if semi takes 10 battery packs equivalent. You can do the math, but this alleviating this constraint of really cheap batteries that we can produce a lot of at the right cost that are enough efficiency and range is the holy grail of beating the internal combustion engine. Tesla's already really, really close. Model 3 is like the best selling car. But my theory is that they acquired this company called Maxwell, the battery investor day, they're, they're having an event to announce something new. And that something new is an even better battery cell. And the innovations are just as much that it's a more efficient, better cell. Also that they're gonna totally redesign the battery pack. They have a decade of expertise in how to design the pack, take out modules, kind of a nerdy thing, but that adds like 20% more range as well. Um, and then on top of that, 
because of this new technology, the dry electrode, they don't have to wait for this like wet coating to dry and have this space for it to dry. So that what it really means is just more batteries on the same lines faster. So cheaper production. So you literally, it's almost the holy grail of battery technology where usually you're sacrificing something. But here it's like more sustainable, cheaper, faster to produce, and more efficient. And this is my theory. This is all speculation. But my thing is like, if Tesla unveils this and they can get as much of them as they want, you know, their lead in battery technology is not shrinking. It's actually widening. Right. Yeah. And that was one of the things that, you know, we were kind of discussing recently in Canada, but with CATL came out recently said that they have a million mile battery and um, they're obviously supplying Tesla in China there at their plant. Um, but, you know, just wondering out loud, is, does that, is that a threat to Tesla or is that a benefit to Tesla um, given that this third party is now making batteries that are so efficient and can go that, that, that long? Yeah. Um, I think eventually everyone will get the million mile battery. It's just a, a question of time. But that, to be honest, that news has got me confused. It's sort of some new news of like, well, nobody really made a battery that lasts more than 300 or 500,000 miles that could really be in a car. Tesla's finally going to break through. And then all of a sudden, CATL has this breakthrough. I think to me, there's a lot of questions of like, uh, I feel like we haven't gotten the full story of that, but I'm kind of scratching my head too of like, you know, maybe CATL also has already come up with the million mile battery and they can just start selling it to GM. Like, I don't think that's what's happening, but totally possible. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, about the, so Tesla recently, they kind of internally, whatever, pushed up the production of the semi-truck. What do you think the semi-truck means to their overall product mix? And then also kind of how they're positioned in the company? Because it's a very different uh, kind of, a, a very different potential revenue stream than something like a consumer product where you're targeting. Yeah. The- I don't know if they pushed it up because it was supposed to be in 19, 2019, then in 2020, now in 2021. Um, I mean, I think it's huge. The entire way our society moves is the internal combustion engine. That is the propulsion technology of the last century. I think the propulsion technology of this century is the electric motor and drivetrain. And that's what Tesla's core technology is. And so that's why they're leading making the longest range, cheapest electric, most affordable electric car is also going to allow them to have the best battery tech and be the first mover when the electric truck hits. And so it all comes down to the battery technology and supply. And now that they're going to alleviate this supply constraint with that new cell I told you about, they have enough battery cells to build the semi truck too. But for now, it just doesn't make sense. Like, why would you add complexity to your product mix and add another vehicle if you literally are just going to take away Model Y and Model 3 sales to sell the semi? It wouldn't make sense. So now finally they have that extra battery capacity. They're going to go all in on the semi. Um, and yeah, I think it's got tremendous potential. I think there's a, you know, Nikola, we've seen that stock. Who knows what we think of, of it, but it's worth 30 billion because people see like, we need to get diesel trucks off the road. This is a massive opportunity. Um, and I think Tesla is really going to dominate and win that space, but it's just going to take time. Right. And the one thing I love about that is it's not cannibalistic to any of their other product lines. You know, like we had some discussions recently about the Y and the three and saying, okay, how much is the Y going to sell? But is it going to take some of those people who want to bought a model three and pull them in? If you, you know, if, then that's not helping. I think it'll also pull in new people who want that, you know, compact SUV, but certainly none of those people that are buying the S or the Y or the three are, you know, going to buy the, the the semi you know so that's nice yeah and like what you said about toyota so toyota dominates cars but do they dominate pickup trucks and semi trucks as well no but it looks like tesla's about to dominate all three so when you kind of start peeling back of what the market cap implies and all that stuff i think it starts to make more sense right absolutely yes so we talked about earlier the gigafactory was a big thing with panasonic a very important partnership early on there and then also you have the short-term partnership that they have with catl that they just established do you think Tesla has any big important partners going forward or whether they're just going to 
try to vertically integrate it and keep it all in-house to themselves. I think they need every battery cell they can get. And so they will do a combination of partnering and building it in-house and doing different cells and chemistries for different applications. Um, so I continue to see them having a lot of partners, but Tesla's motto is vertically integrate. So I think they're going to keep pushing on that as much as possible. They're going to try and build their own cells. Will it be them totally building their own cells? Or are they still going to partner with Panasonic on part of it? Like that's kind of where I'm not sure, but I know Tesla's always pushing to vertically integrate. That's sort of their, you know, company ethos. Yeah. Um, every company kind of comes down to the people, I think, in the long run and who are there. It seems like Tesla, although they do have a lot of turnover, sometimes at the top, that they just attract a lot more talent than some of their competitors. Um, why do you think that is? Oh, I love this. This is an amazing question. And probably one of the most underappreciated edges of Tesla and SpaceX is a company is just a group of people. And Elon Musk is, if you look at the studies, like engineering students, number one place they want to work, SpaceX. Number two, Tesla. This is like the biggest bottleneck for becoming a disruptive tech company. You need these amazing engineers and like this pipeline. And I think Tesla has it because where else would you work on a cutting edge project to really change the world? Like Pete Bannon, he's the guy who came from Apple to work on the chip for Tesla's AI. So I talked to him at the Autonomy Investor Day after I'm like, you know, you could have done anything in the world. Why would you do this? And it's like, because this actually matters. This is exciting. This is amazing. Like, why is Andre Karpathy going from Stanford professor to do an AI, you know, teaching his AI vision class at Stanford to doing it at Tesla? Because like, well, I could teach it in the classroom or I could actually build this thing that millions of people will use that will change the world. Like, these are exciting, ambitious projects. Um, and I think Tesla moves fast. They're, you know, they're like a startup. They give you stock options. Um, and I think Elon Musk genuinely is an incredible CEO who like pushes you to do your great work. So this combination has created an unbelievable environment for engineering talent that's only rivaled by like Apple or Amazon or Google or, you know, that's the ballpark of like top five engineering companies in the world. And SpaceX, you know, is Ford and GM really going to compete here? That's where I'm like, it just doesn't seem like they even have a chance. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that I'm tasked with here is we kind of deep dive into Tesla is evaluating the leadership and culture there. Um, and so how would you compare, you just kind of did this a little bit, but how would you compare the culture at Tesla? We compare the people with that of the kind of legacy competitors in the auto space. Night and day, super flat culture, like a super cutthroat, like Amazon. Like, I think you really have to work hard at Tesla and that's why there's a lot of turnover. And I think it was totally misconstrued. Like the short stars, like this guy leaves after a month. And it's like, yeah, cause they bring in, you know, all these big executives from GM and Toyota and half the time they show up on day one and Elon's like, do this. And they're like, well, I've been doing it this way for 30 years. And Elon's like, they're out, you know? And like, that's the kind of cutthroat intense culture. But like, you know, that's what happened to Amazon earlier in the day. It's almost still kind of does, you know, this is, it's sort of like a place for like a plus people that want to work insanely good and get themselves better and change the world. And that's a very unique mold. And so if you don't fit that, you're probably not going to, you know, make it. But the people who I know work for Tesla and work there for years, I mean, when they do find a fit, they love it. It's their favorite job. They work there for a really long time. Like probably some of the smartest people I've ever met and just really interesting, like the way I think about company culture and is they, they work for Tesla. And so being close to the company, working with them has really like led me to be like, wow, these are incredibly smart, just passionate, talented people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think anybody who's maybe visited some of those big legacy car companies and seen their headquarters, I mean, these are gigantic bureaucratic towers where they have executive dining rooms. It's the antithesis of collaboration um, and um, collaborative problem, problem solving, which we see so much among the tech community. I wonder how much you think it matters that and I want you to chime in on that too. Um, but Tesla's in California. 
you know, the other automakers there in uh, Detroit, certainly Munich, um, you know, Tokyo. Um, how much difference is it in California? And now we hear that Tesla might be pulling out of California. I wonder if that hurts their uh, ability to attract some of those people. What if they go to Texas or somewhere else? I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, I hope they retain operations in Silicon Valley. It's very unclear what will happen with San Francisco, Silicon Valley with the whole new normal, but that's the hotbed for engineering and software talent, which is Tesla's secret sauce at every business and product layer is software and engineers. And so I think that's a huge advantage. Um, but the other thing I was thinking is like incentives. When you talk about these executives, like Elon Musk takes no salary and has this massive stock package with extremely lofty, ambitious goals. Like he's only getting rich if I get super rich as a shareholder and his majority of his net worth is in Tesla stock. Like this is, you know, could not be a more perfectly aligned incentive system. Mary Barra, you know, the Ford CEO, all these executives, do you really think they care what the stock does? Or are they just getting paid millions of dollars? And like, they don't have an incentive to think 10 years down the road because they're going to be retired and gone. So um, that's another very key point is the incentive structure of management just is not catering to innovation at these large companies. Yes, certainly Elon Musk is, I mean, his structure is all in. Like he's got a million yeah. targets. And then as you mentioned, he gets, he gets really wealthy when he does that. Um, when we look at leadership, at least when I do, there's a couple of things that I like. Um, one is they have to be capable. Second, they have to be honest. Third, they have to be hardworking. And then the last one is align with shareholders. You kind of meant, you mentioned the alignment of his incentives. Are there any one of those that you think is a risk to Tesla from out there? So that capable, honest, hardworking, and aligned are the four. What do you think the biggest risk is there? I think the biggest risk is capable because something happens to Elon Musk and he is not leading the company anymore which is like a really sad kind of dark thing. But I think, you know, realistically, like that's the biggest risk. But yeah. my motto as an investor is like, you show me a company where the CEO is so amazing that there's a key man clause that this company could be destroyed if he leaves because he's that amazing. That's the company I want. Like, it's almost to me like, yeah, it's, it sucks. But the flip side of that is like, I have the world's best CEO and that's who I want to invest in. And so if we lose him, it sucks, but. Yeah, yeah. The, the one I have a little bit of problem with is on the honest part of it. And I think like, he is so laser focused on attaining his goals and his compensation is super aligned with that as well. But sometimes I think he's, he's willing to do anything to kind of achieve those goals. And we've seen some of the Twitter things about the, you know, potential investments or buyouts where that, um, and the kind of conflicts with the SEC that I, I sometimes worry about those all. And I'd like to see some of his, instead of just the big audacious goals, I like that, but maybe put some clauses in there, or some incentives that are aligned with like, don't make the SEC mad at you. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. Sound great. Elon's yeah. going to be Elon. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't know what to, yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he said, he's said that and he's acted that way too. Yeah. 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 Um, what do you think the biggest threat is to Tesla? So if you had to think about it, we have the current legacy companies that they've compete about, uh, compete with. We have new disruptors. Nikola is one you mentioned, Rivian, which is kind of a hybrid model, which they're using kind of Ford for production. Um, or do you think it's software companies like Google or Apple or Baidu? All these companies are working on autonomous driving. Who do you think is the biggest threat um, for Tesla out there? If someone can beat them at autonomous, which we can talk about, then I think that would be a huge threat. I also think Tesla builds cars, and I don't know if cars are the best way to get around. Like I'm an investor in a company called Arkimoto, which is really funny and quirky in Oregon, like a three-wheeled thing of like, this uses, you know, why do we have something that's huge with one person in it taking up all this energy to drive around and we have roads everywhere that are ugly. We could have a smaller thing to get around cities. You saw Bird become like the fastest $2 billion company ever because it exploded. So I think to me, when I think of like 
what Tesla might not be thinking about that's a weird risk is like personal mobility. What if that really takes off and the car just becomes less relevant? But is someone really going to beat Tesla at the car? Um, I don't think so. But the, the, those are the kind of like someone beats them at autonomy. The car isn't the main way we get around. Um, or honestly, what I saw with the short seller disinformation campaign, like in you know, the past, when it was, the stock was in the 200s and there was like this huge short pressure, Model 3 was kind of in production, this struggle, Tesla was struggling. Like, I really felt like this is a startup trying their best to succeed. And there were so many people trying to tear them down with misinformation yeah. that they almost failed. And I genuinely think probably the biggest risk to Tesla is they're disrupting so many oil, cars, insurance, energy, so many just industries at once, you have a massive incentive for bad actors to come in and launch disinformation campaigns. And I already think we've seen that. And like, that makes me super sad, but that is to genuinely, I like competition technology for GM is like Rivian, like not across my mind. So my next question is kind of, you said the Rivian, whatever, you don't care much about that. So Dyson really, Dyson recently put in, you know, hundred million, hundreds of millions of pounds into their investment there to do engineering. And they kind of, you know, completely ended up abandoning the project after whatever progress they had. Not because they thought it was a bad product, but they thought it was basically no route to bring it to market and gain any suitable return. So what was, what do you think was their biggest hurdle? Do you think it was just how they approached the problem? Do you think it was just Tesla's so far established that the capital intensive research that would be required to start from nothing is too high? Yeah, I think, you know, what I've learned investing in Tesla is uh, I'm going to really think hard before I invest in another vehicle program, because this is probably the hardest business to ever do. Oh, and wow. I think, you know, like I, I'm like any, you know, Neo, I'm like, yeah, these are cool little electric car companies. But after seeing what Tesla went through, I just don't think this is a good business. And I think a lot of companies have been given the leeway of the doubt that they're going to do what Tesla did. And I, I, you know, it's kind of weird to say, but I think Tesla is going to be an outlier when it's all said and done. And pretty much everyone else is going to be dead because it's such a combination of like the battery with the software, with the self-driving hardware. It's like, man, they have a decade head start. Um, it is hard. It is a hard business and it's so capital intensive with the fixed costs. Um, yeah, it's a really difficult business. So, so now we're going to um, move to a part that we call buy, sell, or hold. Um, so think of this each topic, just like a stock, would you buy, sell, or hold it? The first one is Tesla will be the first company to produce a fully autonomous self-driving car. You can get in there in Washington, DC, go to sleep, and you wake up at your destination, whether it's New York City or somewhere else. Buy, sell, or yeah. hold. I'm yes, buy on that. I though I someone could beat them if it's in a particular city. And I want to, the reason why is super important. Tesla gets paid to collect data. This is why Google's the best search engine and no one can compete. Every time you type in a search, not only are you generating advertising revenue, you're training that AI to get better. Every time you drive a Tesla on autopilot and disengage, you're training the AI to get better. That's free data. The million cars, billions of miles training these neural nets. Nobody has even started on that flywheel. A million cars, three billion miles. Waymo is raising money from outside investors because Alphabet and Google realize that they don't even have, what made Google great was the free data. Waymo doesn't have the free data. They have to pay for every mile. And so that friction on data accumulation is a massive, like that's the whole game. And so to me, the autonomous driving thing is there is, nobody's even started the race yet, except Rivian might, because they're finally going to start selling a couple cars with all the sensors, get a little bit of data. But then you're like, man, so Rivian to get to our Tesla's today, it's probably 2040 or 2030 or, you know, yeah. five to 10 years. So right. that's what the thinking behind why I'm like, I just see no one else making as much progress towards this as Tesla yeah, so, with, without the strategy in place. Right. So no clear second choice there. Um, buy, sell or hold Elon Musk um, is still CEO of Tesla in five years. So 2025. I think yes. Bye. Okay. All right. 
Is there a reason why? You don't think he's enticed to spend more time on space initiatives? I mean, he's already worth about 30 billion in Tesla stock. So it's yeah. going to be money he, or big know, incentives keeping him there. He doesn't want to make money. He wants to change the world and go to Mars. And I think Tesla is very far away from like really changing the world still. But, you yeah. know, if they nail autonomy and they have the battery production down, then I think five years is the start of where he could go full-time SpaceX if yeah. Tesla had executed perfectly. But as an investor, it makes me okay because I'm like, for him to leave, we would have to have the business in a really like amazing spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see as him as like, he loves complicated problems. I don't think he's the operational guy, but I think there's enough stuff right now with the new models of the semi and the batteries and the things that they have going on. Um, we haven't even talked about the solar, all that other stuff where there's a lot of compl complicated problems for him to solve. But once it gets into just kind of running and operating it, that's not him. He wants to take on the next probably big thing. Um, the Model Y will end up being uh, more popular than the Model 3, buy, sell, or hold. Buy. Tesla said that, Elon said that. I think the data shows the crosshair utility market's yeah. huge, uh, bigger than sedans, yeah. Bigger than sedans, all right, great. Um, buy, sell, or hold the Cybertruck. This is so buy. This is the, it, I love really? how when it came out, this was described like discre like disaster event, like botched event, ugly truck. Like this is going to go down in automotive history is one of the, like, this is just straight automotive history in the making. Like it's a breakthrough to produce, no paint shop, exoskeleton, like the new battery and autonomous. And it can finally charge itself with a solar panel. Like this is to me, almost the holy grail of all the technology Tesla's been building for 10 years, and they're going to squeeze it into one product. And the Cybertruck, like, I think this could sell over a million units per year globally. Like, think about just autonomous Cybertrucks moving packages around, moving people around cities. Like, there's just, and it's $40,000 or 50, like, there's just, yeah. um, it's hard for me to wrap my head around this autonomous energy transportation device that is the Cybertruck. But I really think they've, they've nailed the culture. Everything else looks like the past when you see it in person. And this is, yeah, it's another example of like, why don't people get Tesla? Like, why do they, you know, you know it's like, who would buy a Cybertruck? I'm in, I'm in like Wisconsin right now. And I went to this like restaurant and this guy comes up with an $85,000 Silverado. I was like, this truck, it looks like a $25,000 truck. He's like telling me he's spent 85,000. My friend and I are in a Tesla and his girlfriend comes over and is like, oh my God, is that a Tesla? And like totally changes her, like way more interested in the Tesla than his $85,000 truck. And that was the moment where I was like, man, all these people who think the truck buyers are not going to move to Tesla are totally wrong. Like, I don't know if that antidote made sense, but like, no, I'm just feeling like that. Yeah. And it's going to be made in Texas. Like, I really think this is the true sort of like the Cybertruck is the product that transcends all party lines, all all walks of life as a product. Yeah, I see it as the value proposition. I think it's amazing where the price is coming out and we get the utility out of the out of the vehicle. The design is interesting to me because it's deviated so much from what a current pickup truck has, you know, as you know, relation to the Rivian, which has followed very closely what pickup trucks look like today. Um, I asked my brother, who's somewhat in the market for a Tesla, and I said, you know, would you consider the Cybertruck? And he goes, no, it's too out there. And he owns a business where they have a lot of trucks and vans and stuff. He goes, probably the Model Y. He goes, I just couldn't imagine pulling up in the Cybertruck somewhere. <laughs> and so like, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on it. I'm like, the design has grown on me, but I wonder if it's a little bit too out there for a lot of folks. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. When, I, when I'm hearing like, oh, I wouldn't want to buy it because it might look too cool. I'm like, if, that, if that's what the thinking is behind not buying, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's definitely just, it's different. Like yeah. I, I saw it in person at the event and maybe this is why I'm like, I kind of have a different viewpoint is like it pulled up. So I got a test drive and to, to get a test drive, I had to wait like an hour and see everyone else get a test drive. So it literally pulled up, you know, pulled up and every day, just every time I saw it, it grew on me more and more and more. And I totally fell in love with the design. So I'm kind of thinking, hopefully that'll happen to a lot of people once they really see it in person in the wild. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, so this one's an easy one, maybe. Um, buy, sell, or hold Tesla the stock at its current price. And for some context, and I know you know this, but maybe for our listeners, um, Daimler, BMW, Ford, we're talking about the same size companies, or you can take GM and add a Fiat Chrysler in there with them. This is kind of the size that we're talking about um, for Tesla. Uh, are you buy, sell, or hold on the stock at the current price? Well, I feel like I have to say I'd never give financial advice and never recommend anybody do anything I say. So that's my lens. I don't give buy, sell, or hold recommendations. I am personally holding my Tesla okay. and I'm in at 247 and okay. that's my average. And I'm planning on not selling to well over a trillion dollar market cap, planning for a hold for five to 10 years. So I guess maybe that's a buy answer. Yeah. It's so like, like by far my biggest investment. From here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Is there anything that would change your mind about the company? So you're in at 247, as you mentioned, on Tesla stock. What happens tomorrow that would change your mind? You're like, I'm selling Tesla. I think maybe you mentioned one of those, if Elon Musk, you, know, you wake up tomorrow and you find out he's left Tesla. But maybe that's not it. But what, what is one or two things that might change your mind on holding Tesla? That's the only thing. Because I really just think we're lit. this is like the greatest business case study of all time. It's going to be one of the greatest companies ever built. Transform our energy transportation systems. We are so early in like a multi-decade story. And I just, I've done so much homework on the technology and incentive structure and no one is close. So, you know, maybe I start, you know, Rivian comes out with a better battery. Jeff Bezos buys them, puts 10 billion into them. Okay, now we have a competition. I think that actually might happen. But um other than that, man, I just think we are so early. Like consumer cars, they could. There's 90 million consumer cars sold a year. Tesla's selling 500,000 this year. I think they're going to start soon selling millions. Then you add in the semi truck. Every single roof go outside. It's not generating energy. It's just sitting there. Sunlight's hitting it. We're not doing anything with it. Then we import and burn fossil fuels for energy. Totally lame. Every roof is going to be producing energy in the future. You're going to store energy on site. Virtual power plant. It's going to fix the grid. Like there's just when I think about the the bigger the problem, the opportunity, the bigger the opportunity. That's my motto. And I see Tesla as having solved like 0.1% of the problem. And yeah. so. I don't know if that's why like on a day-to-day -day basis, what I buy, sell, or hold is just so far from my train of thought of just like researching, like how is the world changing? Like just, and every day I do that research, it's confirming that like Tesla's ahead of these energy and transportation markets, $2 trillion industries that are in the early stages of playing out. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we saw from COVID here, we're on the East Coast in Virginia, here near Washington, DC, but the air quality in all the cities increased remarkably when people stopped driving, right? And I think one of the messages out of this is we don't have to stop driving, but if we're all in EVs, imagine the quality of life of people, particularly around big cities in the world. Obviously that impacts us here in the US, but even bigger in places like China where they have seven of the 10 biggest polluted cities in the world, you know, or over there. Yeah. I mean, and I heard a kind of sad tweet that was like, I wish climate change had COVID-19's PR person. Because if you actually look at how many people are dying, there's a lot of weird data about that, but like it would dwarf the amount of people that are dying from this um, just based on pollution and it's only getting worse and worse. So a big theory of mine is like, I really want governments and people to wake up. And I think a lot of people aren't, you know, sustainable investing, but like where your money goes really matters. And like, right. these are huge problems to solve. And like, 
it's not just about building a great company. It's like as humans, the energy and transportation problems, more people die on the road, you know, I think it's like 350 people die on the road each year in the US per day. And Tesla's trying to solve that, let alone the pollution side. So to me, it's like, I think strategically about an important asset for the future, I'm like, Tesla's solving all these problems that probably our government should be working on, but isn't like. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna to move to our last question, last buy, sell, or hold. Um, and this is, gets back to people again. And the question is, um, who is the second most important person at Tesla besides Elon Musk? It's hard to buy, sell, or hold that, I guess, but just for some context, Musk is worth about 30 billion in stock. And the number two insider there, not counting board members, um, Larry Ellison is probably number two at over a billion dollars in stock. But the number two is actually the CFO at Tesla, which holds under $10 million in stock. So we're talking about 30 billion up here, 10 million here. Uh, you've talked about key person risk, but who is the second most important person at Tesla? Is it the CFO? Is it um, Carpathy? Is it somebody else? Who do you think the second most yeah. important person Yeah, I think there's a handful of executives that do really well in their own vertical that report to Elon that are all sort of, and I kind of like know some of them, so I don't, I'm trying to not like, I think, so you got Elon, you know, J.B. Straubel, he was the easy co-founder number two, but he recently retired. And so his uh, sort of replacement, not officially CTO yet, but Drew Baglino, um, he's amazing. So I think he's up there. You got Zach Kirkhorn, like you said, the CFO, um, Martin Vieca, who's the head of investor relations. I think he's amazing. Andre Karpathy doing the AI, Pete Bannon doing the chip. Um, and then they, I think they have a battery materials team as well. I'm not sure. I think that's very important, but doesn't get enough love. So those were like the five or six kind of executives that at least I know that I think are kicking ass and extremely yeah. important. And I've worked there for like a long time as well. Right. Okay. That's great. Um, great. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate getting a better insight into Tesla and what you're thinking. We love your long-term approach to how you look at um, stocks and businesses. Um, I agree. This is one of the most fascinating you know, companies to follow out there with so much optionality embedded in it. It's going to be interesting to see how things work out. So thanks very much for joining us, Gally. We appreciate it. And um, hopefully we'll be able to get meet in person sometime when everything and the virus is under control. So if you get by Full HQ, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi in Alexandria, Virginia, or if you get to Washington, D.C., we'd love to take you out for a coffee. Yeah, thank you. So I would love to meet up. Thank you so much for the time. And I, I guess the last place I would leave your listeners with this is like the case study thing. Whether you hate Tesla, love it, believe it, don't believe it, like there is so much to learn just by following it that people are going to be studying this in the history books for, you know, centuries to come afterwards. So, you know, just soak it in and, and be grateful for the moment that we literally get to watch it play out in real time. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I would encourage those folks to do that don't haven't maybe um, seen the product is go to a Tesla store, see the product, maybe test yeah. it. If you have a friend that has one, every person that I talk to, we had a few people at the Motley Fool that own Teslas before I bought one that I could go and talk to them. And they're all eager to talk about you know, if you're worried about rains or any of these other problems, like it's kind of, you know, it's a big investment. So you're thinking about what, what are the problems potentially with going with an electric vehicle? I can say for myself, the range hasn't been an issue. There's, you know, superchargers, all this kind of stuff. Um, uh, it's been a great car. So I'd say go, go experience the product a little bit. If you have somebody that you know that owns one or visit a store. Totally. Well, thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks very it. much, Gal. We appreciate it.